Good morning. <laughs> That's more like it. I was told, um, told last time that I preached that I, should, that I had a striped T-shirt on and it caused, gave some people migraines in the room. So um, I'm wearing a black T-shirt today. So I hope my body doesn't sort of merge into the darkness. But anyway, I'm here. You just see a head and arms. But anyway, so I hope that's okay. Right. Uh, we're going to carry on this morning uh, in our series from Hebrews, Hebrews 11. And uh, we're going to be carrying on from Tim's great introduction last week. And we're going to be looking at a couple of um, characters from the Old Testament. Actually, three characters. We're going to look at Abel, we're going to look at Cain, and we're going to look at a man called Enoch. And uh, so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to read from Genesis. We're going to start off by reading from Genesis, um, looking at those stories, and then we're going to come to Hebrews. So if you'd like to open your Bibles um, to Genesis 4 and uh, keep your finger in that, or keep your finger in Hebrews, and then turn to Hebrews 11 as well, and uh, we're going to start. But before I do that, I just want to pray. Oh, is that okay? I want to pray and uh, really ask God to come and speak to us this morning. He's already been speaking to us, and it's been a great time of worship. And I really do believe that God is speaking to people, and uh, he's going to carry that on. I had a, in the worship, I had these two words come into my mind, and I want to pick it up a bit later. The, the words were practical steps. Okay. Now, faith is not just a concept. People, Christians are called... Sometimes you hear people say, you know, uh, people are people of faith or people who have a kind of believe in this kind of concept. Well, the Bible says that faith is a practical thing. Okay, and we're going to look at that this morning, how faith is a practical thing. And so I'm going to pray and then let's read uh, from Genesis. So Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you for speaking to us this morning. Thank you that you are here setting people free. Thank you that you are here bringing hope, bringing freedom, bringing life, bringing joy. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. And we look to you this morning, and we just ask you to speak to us through this passage in Hebrews. And we ask you, Father, to open our hearts and give us hearts that are, are, are welcome, welcome you, welcome what you're doing. Holy Spirit, move amongst us, I pray. Help me to get this message across as well. And I pray that we will all go out of this room changed people, Father, all of us, I pray, taking practical steps in faith, I pray, in your name. Right, let's have a look at this then. So, Genesis 4, uh, verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel, now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire 
is against you, but you must rule over it. And Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's, your, where, where's Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. I'm not my brother's keeper. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And then if you'd like to turn to um, Genesis 5, just across the page for some of you, maybe. Chat, uh, verse 21. And it says, talks about Enoch. It says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. He probably needed a lot of energy at 65 years old, didn't he? But anyway. <laughs> and Enoch, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah. 300 years and had other sons and, and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and then he was not, for God took him. So if you'd like to flick over to Hebrews 11, and uh, we're going to come to our verses this morning. Hebrews 11, uh, verses 4 to 6. So this is what the writer of Hebrews says about these two men. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Sorry, let's get my. Through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So I don't know if anyone has seen the um, BBC programme, um, Who Do You Think You Are? Has anyone seen that? Yeah? yeah? Uh, I don't watch it, you know, a lot. Um, but my brother-in-law said to me a few weeks ago, you've got to watch the one about the comedian Josh Widdicombe. Now, I don't know if anyone in the room has seen that one. So, um, so Josh Widdicombe, um, normal man, he's a, a comedian, don't know if anyone uh, knows of him, and uh, kind of like a minor celebrity, I would say, but he's kind of like an ordinary bloke, brought up in the West Country, you get to meet his parents in the, in the program, kind of, you know, fairly normal parents, and uh, as, as historians and, and the gene genealogists kind of got into his background, into his family history, they uncovered this kind of incredible story. And uh, it was kind of, it was just surprising as the layers unfolded. So first of all, they found that, um, you know, his great-great-grandmother was related uh, to uh, one of the, one of the uh, sort of founders of the Bearings Bank. Okay, so I don't know if you've heard of the Bearings Bank. It was a big bank. It went bust, I think, in the 80s and 90s. And uh, then they picked, went back a bit further and uh, they found out that his 10th grandfather, great-grandfather, was one of King Charles I's closest advisors, part of his privy council. So this was King Charles I who had his head chopped off by the parliamentarians. And, you know, he was like, wow, that's amazing. And then they went back a bit further, 13th great-grandfather, who happened to be Queen Elizabeth I's 
treasurer. So he looked after the money of the land for Queen Elizabeth I. And then they went back a bit further. And by this time, you know, it's just like, this is, is this a joke? 23rd great-grandfather turned out to be King Edward I of England. And then went back a bit further. 24th great-grandfather turned out to be King Philip of France. And so it's, it meant that this, this young kind of comedian from the West Country was related to the royal line of England and France. Okay. So you can imagine the surprise. You can imagine the shock. You can imagine the excitement of these historians and the genealogists. And in a similar kind of way, can you imagine the surprise on the day when Cain and Abel asked their parents, Adam and Eve, Dad, Mum, can you tell us about your childhood? I'm sure the question was asked, wasn't it? Can you tell us about your background? How did we get, how did you get together? How did we get here? You know, where, why are we living in this place? And can you imagine the story unfolding? Well, sons, we were, we were made by God. Your mother, in fact, was made from one of my ribs. God made us to know him. God made us to walk with him, and it was wonderful. We had this incredible relationship. We, he, gave, he made this place for us to live in, and he let us name the animals and the trees and the plants. We could have anything we wanted. It was wonderful. In the evenings, he came and walked with us. He spent time with us. It was just so wonderful. But a terrible thing happened. God had set boundaries for us, and he said that we shouldn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and if we did, our innocence would be lost, and death, physical death and spiritual death, a separation from God would enter the world. And we were tempted by the devil, and the devil told us terrible lies, and he put terrible thoughts into our heads, and he called God a liar, and he said, you won't die. Of course you won't die. He said, it will be amazing. You'll be like God. You can make your own decisions. You'll know the difference between good and evil. And he stirred desires in us that, to be honest, sons, we'd, we'd never felt before. And it seemed so attractive. It seemed so good at the time. The lie seemed really good. And we fell for it. And we did it. And we ate. And from that moment on, everything changed. Suddenly, we realized that we were naked. Our innocence and our kind of happiness and freedom went. And worst of all, when God came walking with us that evening, he knew straight away. He's God. He knew everything. And we felt ashamed. We, we felt just embarrassed. We felt guilty. He's so great. He's so holy. And it was awful. It was truly awful, and we tried to cover ourselves. We kind of made bushes, you know, kind of thick clothes out of leaves and bushes. It's just kind of pointless, because you can't hide from God, can you? And God was disappointed with us. He was angry, and it left us feeling so hollow. But you know what? Even when we let he still loved us. And he actually gave us free clothes. He sacrificed an animal 
which cost an innocent animal its blood, and he made clothes out of its skin for us. And do you know what? We'd never seen death like that before. Blood, a sacrifice, but it covered our shame. But death had come, and death is now present in this world, sons. And then worst of all, God sent us away from his continual and his wonderful presence. And now we only see and feel glimpses of God. We've lost so much. Can you imagine that conversation that took place? The silence and the realisation and the kind of shuffling of feet and looking down and, you know, it was terrible, terrible sums. Can you imagine it? And we're not explicitly told in Genesis, but it seems from what happened next that Cain and Abel responded to their parents' story in very different ways. And we're given here in Genesis, that the, the passage you've just read, uh, an account of the first act of worship to God. And Cain and Abel brought offerings to God. And although it's not included in the Genesis narrative, without a doubt, they were doing this because God had revealed to them the necessity of a sacrifice. God must have instructed them concerning details of what this worship should look like. And so Abel, who was a shepherd, he brought the firstborn lamb, and Cain, a farmer, his offering was some crops that he had grown. And God accepted Abel's offering, but he didn't accept Cain's. And the Bible doesn't explicitly spell out the answer, why Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's offering wasn't. But we know that God looks at the heart of man. And there was something in Cain's motivation and heart attitude, and possibly his unwillingness to obey God's instruction that made his offering unacceptable to God. And it was obviously something that he was aware of, because the, the, the passage says that God said to him, if you do well, will you not be accepted? So, you know, God's saying, you know, I have told you, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But for some reason, Cain didn't decide to go God's way. Abel, on the other hand, had the proper motivation, it seems, the proper heart, the proper relationship with God, a relationship based on faith. And we, we know this because the writer of Hebrews says it was by faith that Abel offered to God a more, a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And the lesson here is that ever since the beginning of time, people must come to God in faith. We must come to God in faith. There is no other way to come to God apart from in faith. And as the writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then we see the story of Enoch, and it's, it's a kind of real small snapshot into a man's life, a man who lived 365 years, and all we get from him is this. He's he carried on the witness of God in human history. He walked with God. And he acknowledged God and his ways. And this was pleasing to God. Why? Because it was done in faith. And so from these two stories in Genesis, and this is what the writer of Hebrews is doing here, he's saying we can understand what an attitude of faith is. 
What does it mean to have faith? So let's read verse 6 again. And verse 6 in Hebrews 11, I'll read it to you, says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And in the Genesis account of Abel and Enoch, it doesn't actually mention the word faith. And the writer of Hebrews here, he's not kind of arguing for the nature of faith because he already knows it. The writer is seeing faith in two people as he knows it, and he's, he's saying, he's applying basic reasoning and logic here. Number one, without faith it's impossible to please God. Number two, Enoch and Abel please God. So therefore, they must have done what they did by faith. So why does faith please God? Why does faith please God? And the answer is in verse 6, the second part, where it says, For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. Faith is an embracing of the existence of God. And faith is the embracing of is embracing the fact that God rewards those who seek him. So what does that mean? So what does he mean by faith is embracing the existence of God? Well, God is, isn't he? He is the absolute being. He's always been there. He's never changing. He's never developing. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And faith must come to God embracing that. If it doesn't, it's not pleasing to God. We don't change God. We can't change God. Faith must come to God embracing who he is. It's saying to God, you know, God, I see your fingerprints in nature. I hear the gospel, and it stirs me. It changes me. It might be foolishness to a lot of people, but this is, I know it's, it's truth. I know who you are, God, and I believe it. It's saying, I love your word, God, and I will apply it to my life. Even the tricky bits, even the bits that don't fit in with how I want to live, I will apply your word, God, because you are God, and this is your word. I listen to your voice, and whatever your voice is saying to me, I listen to it, God. I love your way of doing things. I love your people. I love your church. Even if people in the church annoy me, this is how you've decided, God, to forward your kingdom, and I love your people, and I love your church, because you are God. And I come to you, and I surrender my all to you. This is faith. And this is what Abel and Enoch did. They embraced God for who he is. And when God sees that attitude, he smiles and he says, I like that. I like that. And then what does it mean by faith is embracing the fact that God rewards those who seek him? Well, not only does God exist absolutely, but because he didn't come into being, he is totally self-sufficient. And God is totally independent of us. God is utterly free from needing us. Does that shock you? God is totally free from needing us. Everything he gives, our breath, our food, 
our birth, our existence, his son Jesus, our salvation, the Holy Spirit, he gives us because he's chosen to, because he is a good and loving and a rewarding God. God is, he is who he is, and God is explosively rewarding. And when we come to God, totally reliant on who he is, and on the fact that he will reward us for coming to him, this pleases God. Abel and Enoch were simple humans like you and I. There's, you know, as Tim said last week, there weren't anything special about these people, but they got it, and their actions showed this. Their actions displayed God's being for who he is, and they displayed his bounty and his goodness because they came to him knowing that he would reward them. Their actions displayed God's reality. Their actions displayed his existence, but their actions also displayed the fact that God is a rewarding God and an excellent God. And this was faith, and these men had faith. And there is actually a connection here between Hebrews 11, verses 1, which Tim looked at last week, and verse 6, which we're looking at today. Verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. God. We can't see God. I I haven't seen God. But I know he exists. I know you exist, God, because of what you have done in my life, because of your word, because of the way you've changed me. And I come to you as I am. This is faith. The assurance of things hoped for, reward. I know, God, that when I come to you, acknowledging who you are, you will reward me. You will respond to me for coming to you, God. This isn't material reward. This isn't money. This isn't wealth or whatever like that. No, this is the reward of God's presence. This is the reward of his response to us. God will come to us if we come to him in faith. This is faith. So whatever you, wherever you are this morning, whether you're here seeking, wanting to know God, whether you're wanting to see God break through in kind of various areas in your life, whether you just want to know more of God, faith is coming to God this morning and saying, I acknowledge you, God. I don't understand everything. I don't quite get that bit or understand why that's happening, but I acknowledge you, God, for who you are. Faith is saying, I know you will reward me, God, for seeking you, and I know you will respond. And it might not be how I expect you to respond, but I know you will respond. This is faith. And then the writer of Hebrews He encourages us. He says to us, stir ourselves in faith. Why? Well, because this life of faith is vulnerable and perilous. In Hebrews 10, as Tim uh, spoke about last week, I'll read these verses to you again. Hebrews 10, verse 35, it says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. There is a rule of life, a a rule that came in when the fall happened, 
that everything decays unless you hold on to it, unless you take hold of it, unless you are vigilant with it. Recently, we, um, we've lived in our house for seven years, and um, Corey said to me, and it always makes me a little bit nervous, she said, those two rooms look a bit shabby. And I was like, oh, no, here we go. <laughs> so down to B&Q. We had to touch it up, re, you know, kind of do some, buy some cushions and things like that. We had to look after our house because it was looking a bit shabby. Things decay. Same with our bodies, isn't it? If we don't look after it, if we don't feed it well, if we don't, if we don't kind of do exercise, things get a bit shabby, don't they? <laughs> and it's the rule of life that things will decay unless we lay hold of it, unless we are vigilant with it. And it's the same with our faith. We need to look at God. We need to look at what he brings. We need to look at our spiritual reward in God. Life now, eternal life in the future, a better possession, and not be distracted. Persevere. Don't coast in life. Don't coast in your family's spiritual life. Don't coast in this church. You know, be part of it. Take hold of it. As we've heard over the past few weeks, we are in a battle. And the enemy, the world, the flesh, our kind of earthly desires will try and pull us away from God, will try and pull us away from the life and the peace and the joy and the freedom that we have in Christ. The other day I was watching this documentary about the Falklands War 40 years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, it was quite harrowing. There were some stories in there that kind of following a battle and everything that went on in the battle, and these paratroopers were talking about kind of what, what it was like and what they went through. And one of the phrases that one of these paratroopers said to me, which really stuck with me, and he said, when the battle starts, if you don't keep moving, you're dead. <laughs> you're in trouble. And this is so true, isn't it, for our Christian walk? Don't stand still. Press into God. Press into his word. Press into fellowship with one another. Press into prayer. I'll make a confession. I, I didn't feel like going to the prayer meeting on Friday night. I was tired. I'd had a terrible day at work. But I went, and I'm so pleased that I went. I'm so pleased I pressed in. It was a brilliant time. God met with us. God spoke to us. It was encouraging. It was stirring. Remember what you are part of and have been called to and let it sweep you up. Don't stop. Don't stop. We are in a battle. Keep going. Don't be beguiled by this world. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 verse 16, and I don't want to steal someone else's thunder later on in the series, but he says this, desire a better country that is a heavenly one. God is not ashamed to be called your God if you press on desiring that better country. God has better things for us, and we must take hold of them by faith. In this life, his kingdom ways, they're better for us. We can be free from anxiety. We can know clarity about who we are as individuals, as people, as as created by him, we can know proper value. We can know what real diversity is. 
We can know that we are his precious children, loved by our Father. We can have value for life. You know, we've been shocked in our household about our country's reaction to the abortion law changes in the US. And in God, in God's kingdom, there is value for life. These are his ways. Let's fight for those things. Let's, let, let's be swept up with God's ways of doing things. We have a, a way to live, free from anger, free from slander, free from gossip, free from jealousy, free, free from selfish ambition. We can be free from these things. Let's be swept up by God, by his word, by his ways. And the future has hope for us as well, doesn't it? You know, we don't have to fear death. Death has no longer a sting because we can be free from the fear of death. We have a hope. We have an eternal hope, an eternal possession to look forward to. And the Christian life is one of pilgrimage, isn't it? We're not settling. Keep moving. And for some of you this morning, that might actually mean God is saying to you, move. You know, there's church plants going on in Chelmsford, in other parts of the uh, country, in other parts of the world. Maybe God is saying to you, come on, take a step of faith, move. Or maybe for us it's just, you know, God, I'm going to keep moving in my family. I'm going to keep you in the centre of my family, however hard it is. I'm going to keep you in the centre of my workplace. We need to be vigilant over family devotion. We need to be vigilant over prayer, over holiness, over God's word. Don't take it for granted. Be vigilant. Be disciplined. If you don't, like our living room, it gets shabby. <laughs> it quickly disappears. And it happens to all of us, to individuals, to families, and to churches. And the writer of Hebrews, he gives us people of faith for us to imitate. He says, look at these people. Look at these people and imitate their faith so that we don't become sluggish. It's the word he uses. And the list starts here with Abel and Enoch. Let's be imitators of these men and women that we're going to be hearing about over the next few weeks. Be imitators of Christians from the past and the present who are godly people who are taking steps of faith. Be imitators of Christians around you in, in this church, in your life group, in people that you know that rub off on you. Be imitators of them. Look at their lives. Be encouraged by their faith and imitate their faith. I'm not talking about hero worship here, but ordinary people who through extraordinary acts of God deflect attention from, their self, from themselves to God to bring worship to him and advance God's kingdom. If you know people like that, Imitate them. Imitate those people. Look at what our society throws up for heroes. <laughs> Look at the um, immoral, proud, self-seeking, self-promoting sportsmen. <laughs> celebrities, minor celebrities, Love Island, all that rubbish. You know, body image and all this stuff. Look at, all, look at what our society is, is, is giving our children as heroes. Look at the people who are not even real. I'm not against um, some of these, uh, what's it called, Marvel? <laughs> I watch it. But they're not heroes, are they? Let's look at these men and women in the Bible who took steps of faith. Let's look at people around us, Christian heroes who, have, who, have, uh, who we can imitate in faith. 
And there's a, a sobering message here for parents as well. I don't know if anyone knows that expression, chip off the old block. Well, one of the most frightening things and humbling and sobering things that my children have ever said to me is that, Dad, I did that because you did it, or you said it, and whether you like it or not, your kids imitate you. Be someone worth imitating, parents. Be someone worth imitating. Be people of faith. So faith is about acknowledging God and acknowledging that when we come to him, he will reward us. So wherever you are this morning, if you are looking in this morning, maybe you're kind of curious about Jesus, maybe you're seeking God. Well, the Bible says that those who believe in Jesus enter his rest. And do you need peace in your soul this morning? Do you need that rest in your soul this morning? The story of Abel really speaks to you. Because here was a man who came to God with a believing heart. And he put his faith in God regardless. And as Abel brought a lamb to be sacrificed, this is a, a brilliant picture of Jesus. God's son who came to earth, who lived a sinless life, who was cruelly and unfairly killed on the cross. He willingly did this to take your sins. He died a death that you and I deserve. So that when you come to God this morning with a heart of faith through Jesus, you can be accepted. You can have rest with God. Or maybe some of you here this morning know that you haven't necessarily been walking with God or you feel stirred. You know, God, I want more. I want to walk with you more. I want to be like Enoch. As of, uh, Hebrews 3 verse 12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Don't let unbelief, don't let cynicism, don't let disappointment take root in your life. Put your faith in God, in who he is. Don't look at others, what they are doing. Don't be intimidated don't be discouraged by maybe other people's lack of faith. Look to God. Don't be dismayed about what is going on in this world. Look to God. Look at his promises. Look what he is building. Look what he promises. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And then also, maybe there's some people here this morning who need to take heed of Cain's story. Cain knew the right thing to do, but he didn't do it. God graciously gave Cain an opportunity to make things right and warned him. He said, if you do well, you'll be accepted, Cain. But if you don't do well, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is against you. And this description of sin is so striking, isn't it? Sin lying in wait lying by the door, sitting by the door, waiting to pounce, waiting to crouch, waiting, sorry, to consume Cain. And Peter describes the devil, doesn't he? Peter, is, um, in, one of the apostles, describes the devil as a prowling lion, waiting to pounce. 
And God gave Cain a chance. He wanted him to admit his sin and turn from it and put it right. And Cain failed to heed God's gracious words of caution. He let sin in the form of jealousy and anger pounce on him, become his master and rule over him, which led to murder. And you can see Cain's descent into unbelief and sin. And we need to take this story seriously this morning. If you know this morning that you are playing with sin in your life. Maybe you're deliberately going your way instead of God's way. Maybe you know that God is asking you to do something. God is asking you to respond to him and change something in your life, but you're unwilling because you know what that might mean. Take heed of Cain's story. Is sin crouching at your door? Because the good news is, is that in Jesus, He gives us the strength to resist temptation. In Christ, if you put your faith in him, we are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. Take God's gracious warning and walk away from sin before it takes its full effect on you. God has so much more for you. Faith is coming to him this morning and saying, God, I put my trust in you, and I know that you will take me to a better place. So as we close this morning, would the band like to come up and I just really feel that God wants to speak to some people here this morning about taking steps of faith. And what are those steps of faith in in your life this morning? What is God calling you to do this morning? What is he stirring in your heart? And I've got this, this phrase, um, practical steps. And as I said at the beginning, faith is often taking practical steps. And that might mean kind of, you know, actually doing something this morning, talking to someone, sharing something with someone, getting some prayer. Or it might mean making a decision to go home and change some stuff, throw stuff away, deal with stuff, deal with a relationship. You know, is there something that you need to talk as a couple about in how you bring up your kids? Is there something that you need to think, challenge yourself on about how you serve in the church? Is there something around illness? You know, are you ill this morning? Do you really want to come and ask God, God, I come to you as I am. Please come and heal me. Is there fear? Is there anxiety that you need to give to God and stand on the fact that God is bigger than that? You know, is there a life change that you need to maybe talk about? So, whatever God is speaking to you about this morning, let's respond to him in faith. If you'd like to stand, and uh, I'm going to finish by reading something from Luke, from the book of Luke. And uh, then I'm just going to ask the, um, the band to, to sing a song. And uh, I'd really ask you this morning to really do business with God. Just come before him and say, God, you know, I know you want me to take a step of faith in this area. I come to you as you are, and I know that you will answer me. And we're going to have some prayer team over there who will be able to pray for people if you want that. But as I said, it might just mean that you need to make a conscious decision to change some stuff. So let me read this story from Luke. And there was a woman 
who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And however we respond this morning to God, let's be like this woman who embraced God, who embraced Jesus, and she knew that when she did it in faith, he would make a difference, he would change her. So let's take steps of faith this morning.